Hi, I'm Heather, and this is a podcast about practices and habits that spark deeper love. Today we're joined by Dr. Olivia Scott, who's a university psychologist and has the belief that faith and psychology inform one another in meaningful ways that transform lives. We met at Missio, though Olivia now calls Michigan home. She spent about half of her childhood in Luxembourg in Canada. She's an athlete, likes Star Wars, and enjoys having a good laugh. I have to say, I always have a good laugh with her. But that laughter is usually coupled with depth and conversations connected to her passion for promoting stories and visibility of those who are underrepresented. She'll be talking to us today about the practices and habits related to justice. She shares a lot of good ones throughout the conversation, so have your pen and paper handy. Thanks for being here today, Olivia. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. It's great to be here. So we're talking about um, Amissio at the moment, like how basically this series called Spark, which is exploring practices and habits that spark a deeper love. And the one that we're trying to attune to this week is justice, like the practice of justice. I feel like you and I have had lots of lovely conversations about justice and so I thought it would be just nice to do that here. And at maybe beginning, we could try and just chat about what a rough, give ourselves a rough definition of justice. Um, mm-hmm. So there's like a, a clarity or a sense of what that is. How would you, how would you define justice? Or what would, words would you wrap around? Yeah, um, so I, I've spent some time on that question because I knew it was coming. Spoiler! <laughs> Um, but I, um, you know, I think initially I was like, well, I should probably look up the definition of this. And, um, it is interesting how many definitions just online, you know, um, focus on, um, conformity to law and, um, uh, I guess making things right and fairness, which I think all, you know, in some ways fall into how I, um, would see it, but I would say, you know, in terms of my own journey of faith, I do think I was, I've come to see justice as a very relational, um, like rooted in love concept, which is why I love that it's a part of your series. And you said, you know, what sparks deeper love. And I think justice is truly embedded in that because it's about, um, seeing the value of human beings and, um, seeing the image of God in all human beings and finding ways to honor that and um, correct society when it fails to do that. So I think those are some of the things that came to mind. I love um, that it in being relational, thinking about correcting when things are not right or like there's a sense where that... Um, whether that's for ourselves or for the other, you know, like that just mm-hmm. be, it becomes relational or the way that you described it relationally. Yeah. I think there's so many pieces to that, right? Cause there's obviously a relationship to others, relationship to community, to God, to ourselves, um, to the environment, right? There's, there's many ways you could look at it. Right. So I think embedding it in a relational frame makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. What do you think, like, why do you feel passionately about 
justice or this rightness in relationships? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think a lot of this is tied to my work as a psychologist, actually, because I think, um, <clears throat> I mean, I certainly grew up with a um, with this strong sense of like what right and wrong is supposed to be, you know, and I think so there's there's sort of like what I guess I was taught about morality and and what being um, just in terms of like conforming to truth and right and wrong looks like. But I think over time in my work, it's become so much more than that because I've in working with clients, I have heard stories of injustice time and time again. I mean, most often when I'm working with um, clients in therapy, you know, yes, there are biological, genetic uh, sorts of causes of mental illness and why people struggle. And more often than not, there's also these environment, environmental, systemic, or like interpersonal wrongs that have really brought them to where they are. So I think after hearing so many stories of injustice and then partnering with clients and trying to find healing and, you know, put the pieces back together or make something new um, has made me prioritize justice like regular on the daily <laughs> um, when I'm working with folks, because it's just, it's just so real now. And um, to understand too, um, I guess what justice looks like in the eyes of other people too, who are coming to me in their office. And it's helped me challenge too, like maybe what, how I would, um, you know, what would seem like making things right with me might not be the same for another person. And so I guess it's just expanded my view and my, my passion for it and my belief in it. And I'm also grateful that I feel like I'm doing justice work because when I think of justice work, I do think of it in this grander scale for whatever kind of reason, but it's happening in these little moments day to day with clients who are realizing that what happened to them, you know, um, isn't a real reflection of what their worth is and who they are truly. So, so yeah, I, again, I could talk about this forever because I think it just happens daily in my conversations with, with clients. I love that you named like the work of justice as being a part of making things new and acknowledging that like newness or amends or rightness can look really differently for different people that we don't all necessarily want the same things in that work. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. And, and I guess in that way, it's creative work, you know, and for me, I think that that makes sense. Like that, you know, if we think of, again, um, ourselves as co-creators, as folks, you know, made in God's image, it's like, you know, coming up with those creative, um, I guess, bringers of justice or healing moments and collaborating with, with folks on that is exciting to me. And, and again, makes sense in terms of the complexity and diversity of humanity and um, and yeah, so there's something exciting about that to me that there isn't a one size fits all approach. Who am I to say that, 
you know, this particular thing is absolutely going to work with this person who's so different from me, like maybe based on identity, maybe, right, maybe based on race, gender, or their own lived experiences. And so um, it is really like partnership work, I feel, um, when you're trying to create justice in relationship, whatever that looks like, Uh, which again, relational term, relational term. So (laughs) love talking about this with you because I always feel a sense of hope or like expectation Mm. or I think often within the realm of conversations around justice it just can start to feel really overwhelming and it can start to feel daunting and rightly so because a lot of injustice is just so harrowing Um, or all injustice, and then I just think I talk to you, and I get like all kind of excited about it, or like, yes, this is partnership work, this is curiosity, this is creative, this can be generative. Um, oh, I just love it. <laughs> I'm I'm glad, you know. And I, so you sparked another thought. You look like you were going to ask another question, though. What should I? Because you were saying like, you know, the harrowing parts certainly you know, those exist. And I, that brings me to my thought about like, you know, what do you do when you were unjust, right? Like when you commit the wrongdoing or when you perpetuate, you know, and I think about this with clients, like I've gotten it wrong for sure, you know, and I've um, misstepped. And I think, you know, justice is also about, in my mind, um, being able to sit with that and make amends and admit when this wrong and um, being getting good at apologizing. And I don't know, I'll speak for myself. There are times where I'm just not very good at that. And um, there are also, I love the generative and creative pieces, especially with clients when I can be like, yeah, those systems are terrible and we are working to empower you and to find healing but you know, it's it's it is definitely a different conversation too when you're when you're perpetuating something or when you've done harm and you have to take a step back and listen and own what's gone on and then try to make it right. So, I'm thinking about that in relation to like how practical that is. Like when we talk about these practices and habits that spark a deeper love. And then in thinking about justice work, it can be easy to be like, yeah, I need to like pull down these systems, which is, there's a validity to that, like you said. Um, and here's this really practical practice, like the practice of apology, the practice of listening mm. to how the thing I said or the behavior that I did or the person that I aligned myself with brought harm. And then owning that an apology, I don't know, maybe you can talk a little more about that. Like what... Yeah, I think, I think that's challenging for us Mm -hmm. personally and as a society, those that's hard to get there. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think, um, I think one thing that I guess more specifically, when I think about like racial justice in particular, um, I think one thing that often comes up in conversation maybe I should contextualize this too as like a a mixed race Asian American woman so I'm both um Asian and white and so that's that could be a whole other podcast on how I experience those two um but anyways um but yeah I think 
with with racial justice work, um, people are very concerned about seeming like a bad person, you know, and that, you know, an act of harm, you know, um, somehow reflects on their character. And I think, you know, I, I think um, dwelling on that often gets in the way of people then being able to repair things. Um, and so I often encourage myself and others to think about like, you know, that your character really shines through in how you do the repairing, not what was actually done. I mean, that's important. Don't get me wrong. But um, how you handle the feedback and how you're able to hold that honor the impact was different than maybe your intention. Um, all of those things are key, I think, to moving forward and, you know, experiencing justice in relationship. But it's hard because I think that is sort of our first reaction, right? Is to be like, oh, I'm a terrible person. Like, you know, I'm so sorry, but also, or to be defensive and be like, no, that's not what I meant. And it just, I think, gets in the way of the actual justice repairing part. Um, because we're dwelling on the original thing and trying to um, distance ourselves from that discomfort of being called out. So commentary about justice is it's a practice of persistence. And um, in that way, it can be really tiring. But I, I often tell my students like this is we're in this for the long haul, the long game. Um, and so ways to, to stay persistent, finding ways to stay persistent for yourself is really important um, since, you know, this isn't a quick fix or one interaction sort of thing. Mm. Oof, you just said so many things that I feel like we could sit with for a long time. The, <laughs> just the how we do the repairing is maybe mm. like just even sitting with that, that we would contemplate how we do the repairing and yeah that feels like a really significant thing to name and then the justice work that is involved in that repairing mm -hmm. instead of not like being able to listen to the other person and how the thing that we did or said impacted them and then owning that and then even thinking about the concept of amends I don't know if you'd be willing to talk a little bit about that like we can in saying sorry sometimes it's not really reparative at all it's just and it doesn't necessarily mean that something is brought to wholeness again or connection again or mm -hmm. so I don't know if you could talk a little bit about amends at all or what that could look like or what practices of amends are yeah I think so this is where I think justice becomes creative work again right because if everyone received apologies in the same way, or if there's one clear formula about how to make amends, I mean, it'd be probably a lot easier than it is. Um, but I think, you know, I do think that this is where, um, you know, the relational work comes in of trying to understand what would bring the relationship to wholeness um, and trying to you know, make a, a good faith effort to work towards that, you know, and then I do think, you know, people often say, well, I've tried, like, what am I supposed to do next, you know, and, and, you know, there is a lot of emphasis on doing, I think, in justice work of, of all scales. And that is a part of it. 
Um, but I think, you know, there is also a, a, an emphasis in my mind on like being and sitting with and, um, you know, reflecting and, um, you know, being able to carry that experience with you so that you can learn and move forward in the future. So again, though, with justice being relational, there is another party or parties that you can't control. And so I think, um, you know, there's, there's something about that collaboration and, and working hard for it. And there's something too about, um, I guess, knowing when to take a step back um, and give the agency back to the other person to come to you again, or to, op to open that door again. Um, but it can be hard if they, if they don't decide to do that. And that's outside of our control. And I think that's why when you say persistence, like it's, it's the long road. And then like the taking a step back, there are kinds of practices probably in justice work that, that are essential for persistence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, we've talked about this before, but uh, I think rest <laughs> is one of those other practices that go hand in hand with justice because of the persistence of it. Um, you know, we can't, um, we can't do our best and we can't stay in involved in relationships to the you know, and to the extent that we want to, if we don't also have practices of rest and rejuvenation and, and gosh, I mean, who better example of that than Jesus of taking time to himself. So I think for, for me, this, uh, these two really go together, rest and justice. And, I, you know, that can also look different for each of us out here on what that looks like. But I, I sometimes, you know, I think folks often look at rest as doing nothing. It is an active practice um, to make sure that we can stay persistent and also affirm that we have our limits. You know, I think um, it can be easy to just go, go, go and not pause. But again, I want to encourage folks to think about that too. And that rest is, is doing something, or maybe if you don't want to look at it that way, um, it's doing nothing so that you can do something <laughs> in in the end. So, yeah. Well, and then when I think about that and bringing it back to your own work where you tune and you listen to like so many stories where people have experienced such deep injustices in their lives and then this work that you do with them to make things new and help them to do that for themselves and potentially advocate for themselves or ask for the things that's needed or do the work of mending um and apologizing you know depending on wherever the person is coming in with whatever story and then you listening and there's kind of that secondary you're experiencing some of that as you attune to and you listen to those stories and so maybe even just thinking about how rest like what rest offers you in your own justice work or what it creates in you? I don't know, maybe that's too broad of a question, but. I think rest isn't just like a treat for me. It's like vital. Um, it's like my lifeline. 
Um, and, and it allows me to do the things that I, I do with clients. Um, and, and I will be the first to admit that it's hard. Like anytime I plan vacation and I have to book clients further out than normal, I get this, you know, tightness in my chest and I, you know, I'm sad that I can't be there for them, you know, and I, I work to reframe that as like, um, I will get to be there for them more fully when I get back. So yeah, it's, um, so maybe as we're talking, I'm thinking rest isn't just a practice. This, this is also a way of being that's pretty vital to, um, to justice. Well, I think about that in terms of what you named as important components of justice, like being and reflecting and presence and apologizing and without rest or a sense of self. It, those things don't just magically happen. You know, it feels like that often there's a, it's easy to become defensive or reactive or to, to say what you said, like that wasn't my intent instead of being able to attune to the impact of something. And mm -hmm. so I can see how it would be so such a vital part of justice that it's not something that you do to get away from it, but it's a component yeah. that you have to like massage into the work of justice itself in order to stay present or to be reflective or to know how to be with self or other, or even to be with God. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love how you put that. Yeah. It's not about getting away. Um, I think that it's summing up right there. <laughs> it's not about getting away, but yeah, uh, working it in, I think, um, so that they're in partnership with one another and there's sort of this ebb and flow. I, I love that, that, uh, that description. Cause I think that, you know, when I feel most at my best with both of these, that's what's happening. It's not like they're separate things. Um, and I think, the other thing I heard you talk about was especially um, when being present and reflecting and there's something about discomfort. Like that the work of justice is being able to hold discomfort. You know, especially when we think about the ones you brought up, like race and gender um, and even the acknowledgement that I have done something that is just so deeply harmful to another human, like that's uncomfortable to have to hear from mm -hmm. somebody else and to acknowledge from somebody else and to hold and then to not get defensive. Um, or even just the state of the world and the systems and the discomfort that comes in seeing some of that stuff. Oh my gosh, you just sparked 20 thoughts. So hopefully I can nail down a few of them. <laughs> but yeah, I, um, I'm i glad you brought up discomfort again, because I think this is another thing that uh, we have to get comfortable with um, or expect. And I do think that this can come in many forms. There's the discomfort of feeling like or knowing that you've harmed someone and um, sitting with that, I think there's the discomfort of then admitting <laughs> that one is wrong and apologizing. I also think, you know, and I don't know if this is true for other folks, but 
Um, <clears throat> I think there are there are times in Christian community where um, I've received the message that certain emotions like are not necessarily bad, but just like shouldn't be listened to or like fully experienced. And so there can also be discomfort with some of the feelings that we may feel, right? Like um, one of them for me is rage. So I, I think I've for a long time have was sort of like, oh, I'm not supposed to be mad or angry. And that's not an emotion that really does anything for me. And it's uncomfortable and it makes me upset. Right. And so over the, over the last, you know, several years, I think I've actually started to try to get more acquainted with my rage because, um, I do think it is appropriate to be upset about injustice, you know? So, um, but that's something that I had to grow to be maybe not more comfortable with, but to accept and to acknowledge and then to figure out what I want to do about that. So I think justice work does require, in all its forms, requires us to be attentive to our feelings and to be present with them rather than suppress them, push them away, devalue them. And I think that's really uncomfortable (laughs) or tiring. So, you know, whether, again, that's guilt in an interaction where you've done wrong or rage or sadness and pain and suffering, like these, these are all things that can be hard to hold for long periods of time. And so um, finding practices to be able to cope with them and acknowledge them and move with them is important. And again, that can maybe show up in different ways for different folks. I love that you brought up rage because I think I do think, especially when you look in the Bible, there's so much rage that is... Everywhere! Yeah, everywhere. And even rage towards, like, there's rage towards this these things that are happening, that God isn't moving fast enough. I mean... Mm-hmm. And so I think the assumption is that when we feel angry or when we feel rage, that the only thing that can come out of that is to do additional harm. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's just the wrong perception or maybe that's maybe that like you said maybe there's this Christian Christian narrative that is like oh there's these these are the kinds of feelings that we need to feel and these are the good ones and then these are the bad ones and you kind of have to hide those or get rid of them or deal with mm-hmm. them quiet but I think rage that maybe again perhaps there's a way that rage is actually motivating and can be generative and can be like this rage is telling me that something is very grievous and wrong Mm -hmm. and so it's actually a great informant like my rage Mm -hmm. is informing me of something so wonderful because this is wrong and I need to say no to it or I need to Mm -hmm. ask people to say no to it and so how do you, maybe it's like, what would we, what would you want to say about how rage can like participate in what you said as justice being generative and creative? Like how can rage play a part in that? Yeah. Uh, beautifully said, Heather. Um, I, uh, I, this also comes up in therapy all the time, particularly my clients who come because they have uh, self-described like anger management concerns. So I think there's, um, there is work that we can do to separate in our minds 
like the emotion of anger and the actions that we do. I think most often, you know, we do conflate them. Like to be angry is to start punching walls and to start like screaming and yelling. And um, anger is an emotion and those other things are behaviors and they don't always have to be connected. And so to your point, I think we can feel an emotion, honor it, figure out what it's trying to tell us, and then we can choose what to do about it. And that's where, like you said, anger can motivate us and be generative. It can motivate us to have a hard conversation with someone or to give feedback or to, um, you know, participate in uh, larger scale justice sorts of efforts, right? So like these are all, those are all things that um, may be fueled by anger and, you know, produce great fruit. Um, so I think, you know, in many ways, we've learned to fear anger because of these other like not so great behaviors that do harm. But in just so doing, we're just throwing out anger altogether. And I'm not sure that that always makes sense. Um, is there anything else that you feel like we needs to be named or needs to be said that hasn't been said or? Um... I guess the other thing that I would, I guess I sort of alluded to, but would come back around to is, you know, um, well, I mentioned like sort of having like being attuned to our reactions to injustice and, um, you know, what those feelings might say about what's going on. And I think to do that, we can't desensitize ourselves from those feelings or those things. But I also think we have to know injustice when we see it. <laughs> so I think this is the other piece um, that requires a lot of self-education and patience and persistence and rest. Um, is developing an, an eye for what justice looks like and for what injustice looks like. And I think, you know, we all have aspects of ourselves that put us in privileged positions where we don't see um, oppression or we don't see the suffering of someone else who is in a more disadvantaged position. We all have that, you know, because we all are multidimensional beings. Um, and so I think to really open our eyes to that, um, requires relationship with people who are different from us and requires good listening and requires, um, you know, doing the extra work of trying to educate ourselves on our own as well. Um, so I think that's sort of just another thing I wanted to mention that, um, it's hard to act upon injustice if we're not recognizing it. And sure, I mean, people may feel brave enough to call us out and try to repair something that we've said that we don't realize, you know, has done harm. Um, but I think it takes more than that um, to be of a more active justice seeker, I guess. So um, I, I do think you know, a lot of my clients are like, yeah, I mean, the internet, duh, like, <laughs> you know, look, and these are college students, so maybe that I should contextualize that too, but, um, but yeah, there's a lot out there to educate ourselves about different oppressed groups and their experiences, um, but then I also think those, you know, really 
developing um, relationships with with folks who are different from us is important. Um, so yeah. I think that's a really good um, picture of, uh, or an, a really good picture of love. You know, like a practice of love is that we would be active justice seekers. And it's not always about the, again, I think it's hearkening to what you said about being. Like the action will come out of being. And if we've been in proximity to people who are experiencing certain types of oppression, then out of that sense of being or knownness comes Mm-hmm. but we have to seek that we have to seek that out like being an active just I love that language like active justice seekers in order to act on or to see injustice we have to be justice seekers whoa <laughs> there it is <laughs> like uh, you named a few things like being in friendship and relationship with people who are different than us and um, listening you know, mm-hmm. that, like actually using the Googles, the Googles, mm-hmm. reading, you know, yep. Um, as you think about people that you, um, that you've heard stories from, like, where would you, like, where would you direct or maybe just suggest, like, this would be, these would be good spaces to be active justice seekers in, you know? Mm. You mean other than church? <laughs> <I'm> say- <laughs> I mean, I say that, I mean, genuinely, but also, um, I guess, as a challenge to um, our, our faith communities to be actively seeking justice there. But I think, you know. Let, can we just hold there for a second? Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I think that's probably a, a beautiful mirror. Because I don't know that that's the, that's not the necessary, the instinctual. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can just talk a little bit about that. Like <laughs> what What is being an active justice seeker in our own community that is a faith community? Like, mm-hmm. oh, chit chat about that a little later. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, you know, I think no matter how homogeneous a congregation, they're, there is opportunities to practice seeking justice and um, or practice the practices we've been discussing today around justice. Um, I think some thoughts that come to mind for me are around like the culture of the congreg- the church. Like what kind of, do you, do you have a community culture of um, apologizing and welcoming uh, feedback and um, not brushing things under the rug and minimizing, you know, um, feelings. So I think all of those things can um, help prepare us for when we're outside of our congregations, but it, it takes the hard work of modeling them within the community too, um, so that we can we can be real justice seekers out in the world. <laughs> um, but it it's tough and uncomfortable and there are easier routes of just uh not doing those things but uh it's the i think it's the easiest place to start in other ways or most accessible maybe i think that's a really good challenge 
because I think it's easy to assume that the justice work or the like the act of justice seeking I mean it does need to happen outside of the community mm-hmm. that is the community but it could start in your family unit or with your housemates or mm-hmm. office like building or in this church that you come to every week and mm-hmm. um that just makes yeah starting where you already are yeah so good so good so good and maybe the question like maybe there's two different sides to this like for those who feel the sense or who are being oppressed in a situation mm-hmm. versus those who are potentially part of the group that is oppressing like mm-hmm. would you say that there's like different kinds of tools you know like for the person that is experiencing oppression like being told to listen and like reflect and I'm, I'm not saying that that's what you were saying I think I'm just mm-hmm. create this distinction like you know, it's like, you know, I'm done listening. I'm I'm done listening mm. because you continually, like, hurt me, mm-hmm. enact these unjust words against me or actions, whether it's microaggressions, like, these things, and now I'm... So maybe you could talk a little about, like, what tools are available for folks who feel marginalised or who feel that they don't belong or who have had explicit things named, and it's caused relational like fracture and pain but because that's been constantly happening to them versus maybe those of us who do that to the other like maybe you could talk a little bit about what what the difference is there and the practices there for each one yeah I'm so glad you brought that up because now as as you were talking I'm realizing there were times where I'm like in my head I'm thinking of well this is for dominant groups you know and then elsewhere where I'm like well this is for everyone or this is you know for more marginalized folks um and I do think when I was talking about apologizing (laughs) I was certainly speaking from a frame of like you know apologizing when you have the dominant position in the situation Mm -hmm. um but I do think practices of rest attuning to emotion, honoring rage. I mean, I think all of those are relevant to everyone. And um, I think the added thing I say for, you know, with marginalized folks is rest is an act of activism, actually, because you are telling, you are basically affirming that you are worthy of rest and are, um, you don't have to push yourself beyond what, um, like you're not just a you're not just an object a thing to like work yourself to the bone like you are valued in and of yourself um and so in in many ways like rest as an act of self-love that is counter to what oppression would say about you Mm -hmm. so I think rest in some ways has a different can have a slightly different connotation for marginalized folks um who again like you said earlier never take the justice hat off because they like half I mean they just this is just it like I mean this is what consumes you know the day-to-day and many and is you know um mapped onto like every interaction like there are layers of systemic oppression all the time and so uh that rest becomes so much more important um and affirms like 
know you you matter and that you are allowed to take a break so um so yeah I think I think they're to your point about like repeated um being on the receiving end of repeated wrongdoing or oppression um I think that's where um you know giving oneself permission to um you know, take a step back and being mindful of not doing the work for other people. I think, I think my, I can speak to this more as like my positionality is like mixed race. I think I often experience myself as like a bridge between a lot of racial groups and, um, you know, not just, that's just ends up what happened, like it is what happens. And not that anyone's forced me in that position, but I think, that can be really taxing, you know, and it make me feel like, all right, well, I have to shield this racial minority and I have to, but also I have to like, make sure the white folks still want to be involved and are engaged, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like oh, back and forth, back and forth. And meanwhile, I'm getting depleted, mm-hmm. you know? So I think there's something to be said about um, being able to say no and the power in one's no and having boundaries in this work mm-hmm. and um being mindful of of the ways that the work can uniquely impact you um based on on your position or uh identity so hopefully there's something in there for everyone but i uh <laughs> yeah i think it's 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 complex and um i think i think my biggest um encouragement to marginalized folks are is often around rest and um validating emotion and getting to know them and figuring out what healing practices there are for those. Um, yeah. I love that because I think it does go back into being like whether you whether you're it's that sense of being like okay as a human I can acknowledge when I've done wrong. You know, and I can apologize and I can listen to impact and then like in in sense of being like I'm I can also acknowledge when I've been wronged you know and I can say like that's not okay Mm -hmm. or but that requires for all of us like that sense of being and then reflecting and be and presentness to ourselves and to others and to God and then it feels like when we do those things that generative and collaborative work can happen Mm -hmm. you know we step into the discomfort of it like you said (laughs) Yeah. need the rest to deep to be persistent because this is going to be our lives like we're going mm-hmm. to do wrong and we're going to be wronged and then we're left holding these things and how do we get back to these relational repair or good mm-hmm. um and that is the justice work so yeah yeah and, and as you were talking the other thing I was thinking is um I think it's been really important for me in my journey to have people in my life and and God is often one of these folks, <laughs> but, um, but to have people in my life who basically say, Oh no, I, I saw what you saw that was wrong hmm. or that was, I can see how that's harmful. Like, you know, and basically not folks in your life who won't minimize your experience. Cause I think um, at the current place that I work, it's among the most like racially diverse places I've ever worked. And one of the most affirming things about it has been like meeting with other staff of color and being like, oh, you all thought like this comment landed on you the same way? What? 
and being able to validate that and be like, okay, well, what do we want to do about this? And not feeling like, you know, you're the only person who saw that or is thinking some type of way about it. And it's sort of like, well, what can I do? Or am I making it a big deal? So there's something too about having trusting, honest relationships. And it's not that you all have to be of the same identity group, but finding those people that you can really, that you really trust and can be honest with and who can like appreciate your truth for what you experienced and help you figure out what to do next, if anything. Well, and I like, cause that to me also feels like if we are just as seekers, then we can be alongside somebody when those mm-hmm. comments come to bear we can be like yeah that's not okay like I'm with mm-hmm. you in that and I can acknowledge so that people aren't isolated in these moments right of, um marginalization or having to absorb certain things that are just wrong and need to be named as wrong collectively mm-hmm. not just naming it as wrong but like collectively yeah oh I see that and right because isn't that what injustice is it's now that you're saying this right it's about fracturing and like splitting us up and keeping us apart and you know um fording repair basically driving wedges so whatever synonyms you want to use for this I'm just listing them up those are all but that's that's the that's the work of injustice and so anytime that we can come together and name these things and actually heal from them that's I feel like that's justice work yeah I think that's a beautiful place to end. You too. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I um, I'm encouraged just by the conversation and uh, feel re-energized to um, keep thinking about this some more right alongside you and everyone else. So, thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for joining us today for this conversation about justice. So helpful to have um, practical things and habits like apology and rest and rage and seeking justice. Really um, things that we can be about in our everyday lives that help us to be more just, more just humans in this world. Um, If you want more resources on how to seek justice or places that are... Um, helpful in seeking justice check out our website and our blog at missioslc.com next week we will be joined by Michael O'Brien I was introduced to Michael through Megan who works as Missio's ministry director because Michael is her dad she affectionately says that she's comforted because she has a father who loves the best that he can with all that he can despite circumstances that have taught him the opposite Michael earned a government theology degree from the University of Notre Dame and then attended law school at the University of Utah. He's a Catholic writer and lawyer who lives here in Salt Lake City. He wrote a book just recently called Monastery Mornings, um, which is about the unlikely family that he found in the company of monks at the Holy Trinity Abbey in the mountains of Huntsville, Utah, when his parents um, were divorced and he was struggling with that. The monks helped him to develop the practice of stability and rootedness in a time of instability in his life. So he'll be joining us next week to share what what he's learned and how he still applies these practices in his everyday life. Join us next week for that conversation.